This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience First-hand, the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And as always, behind the microphone with me is Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison for another busy show. We'll continue our build up to the Ashes with. Just about a week to go before it begins at the Gabba in Brisbane on December the 8th. And we'll hear from both Joe Root and Joss Butler. Jared Kimber joins us to discuss the fallout from the change of captaincy for Australia, whilst Chetan Narula looks back at that indescribably exciting first test between India and New Zealand. Except we did describe it rather well on TalkSport 2, I thought. And we'll ask what next for Ajinkya Rahani and Chateshwa Pujara. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, let's begin with England's preparation for the Ashes. They've managed just 29 overs of of match practice or or middle practice. Before I ask you uh, what you think that means for the team, let's hear straight away from Joe Root, um, who was asked what he thought uh, and how he thought it might affect selection. We have to just judge it as best as we can with the information that's available to us. Um, you know, it's been great to have Ben back around the group and to see him back in training and, and to be going through his his work again. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have to gauge that closer to the time. Uh, but it obviously we would benefit from from having this game. If we don't, we'll have to be smart and, and, and work work around it as I said, prepare as best we can, both individually um, and, you know, as a squad as well. It was England captain Joe Root suggesting that uh, the selection of Ben Stokes was in question. I, I, I don't know whether he had tongue-in-cheek there. He sounded very serious and he looked very serious. Um, Harmy? Yeah, and, and I think I think they're right to have a question. My 11 would be com- probably completely different to... To the England eleven that's going to go out at Brisbane on December the eighth, I would pick Ben Stokes and look at him as batsman only at this minute in time. And as the preparations go into the Test series, Drip Feedy's bowling into it. I think England have come with a ready-made plan before they left the British Isles, or well, they were planning to leave the British Isles. That no Ben Stokes in the squad meant. I thought they were going to go four seamers, out and out seamers, pick the best four bowlers, stick the ball one side of the wicket and really bore you know, into submission the Australian team and go with four con- more containing bowlers who you can rely and hang your hat on. And I'm thinking of Robinson, I'm thinking of Wokes, I'm thinking of Broad, I'm thinking of Anderson. And if they need a little bit of injection of pairs, they'll go with Wood. But I only expected England to play four seamers uh, with six batsmen and Butler at seven. Now, my take on this is at this moment in time, 
I would pick Ben Stokes and Ben Stokes batsman only. My team would have Ben Stokes at number three, which would get me Ollie Pope in the team and Johnny Bairstow in the team, as long as well, along with Butler coming in at number seven, which means I would have four out and out seamers, me four best bowlers that I could hang my hat on, and I'd have six batsmen and Butler at seven, and I would pick Ben Stokes as a number three batsman. His technique is good enough. He hasn't played a lot of cricket, fair enough, but not many of not many of the players have played a lot of cricket in recent times. I think he's batting is you know, spot on. I think his temperament is perfect for you know, the, the battle and the cauldron of what Brisbane's going to be. Lack, lack of match practice, yes, could have he could have had a little bit more of a hit in the middle um, on, on this tour so far. But for me, if I was picking this side, I'd pick Ben Stokes to bat up number three. And then as the series goes on, if I need him to bowl, if he starts bowling and bowling well, then I can start thinking about picking him as the fourth seamer along with a spinner in the group. But no question, Ben Stokes comes out first up in in the tee, in the first 11 at, at Brisbane. He has to because of the nature of the character of the guy. We want our, we want our battle-hardened, really sort of aggressive, in-your-face characters to go hard at Australia. And Ben Stokes would definitely be in my first 11. Harmy, that's, uh, that would be like leaving a, a couple of teenagers in a house with, with a fridge full of food and telling them not to eat it. You're going to tell Ben Stokes... You're going to tell Ben Stokes that he can't bowl. You're going to tell Joe Root that he can't use Ben Stokes to bowl. No, I'm, what I'm trying to say is I'm not going to look at him as a fourth seamer because I think what will happen, and this will happen, the guarantee this will happen, England will pick a spinner and they'll pick Ben Stokes as a fourth seamer. What I'm trying to say is at this minute in time, the preparation and the layoff that Ben's had will have more effect on his bowling than it will on his batting. I still think I think he'd be able to get up to speed a lot quicker from a batting point of view than he will be for a bowling point of view. Now that straight away, if he if he is becomes number four seamer, and you do pick a spinner, then all of a sudden England are picking three three seamers and two half bowlers really. So with me saying four out and out quick bowlers, that means I drip feed Ben Stokes into the series yeah. as and when we feel as though we need to, but not put pressure on him to be our fourth. Seamer, because if we put pressure on him to be our fourth seamer and our spin bowler goes around the park, then all of a sudden the all round role of Ben Stokes that's when his preparation will come into question because he hasn't got a lot to, to fall back on. They probably won't pick a spinner at the Gabba though, will they? I mean, that's uh, probably the least um, spin friendly. You mentioned um, Joss Butler there at number seven. Let's hear from him. He was speaking uh, a couple of days ago about his approach and his outlook on the series? I feel like I sit with nothing to lose, uh, to be honest. I think, um, like you say, it's sort of been a uh, disjointed year, the one just gone. Some good form, some bad form. You know, the same the year before as well. So, um, But I certainly have nothing to lose. Uh, I come here the first time I'm experiencing an Ashes series, so I'm, I'm fully determined to enjoy all the challenges that that throws up. I'm excited to experience it, you know, the, the good, the bad, and I'm sure the highs and lows along the way. But uh, as a player at the minute, I think I come here very, you know, trying to bring a, a sort of fearless approach and to, to really try and uh, embrace the opportunity. You know, sort of, like I said, I don't feel like I've got anything to lose uh, from going out there and, and trying to give it my, my best um, for the team. So I sort of feel like I'm at that sort of stage in my career with, with nothing to lose, but to, to give my best. And, and um, you know, I want to know when I get to, somewhere near my best, so that's, that's going to be pretty good. Well, you also mentioned uh, pressure, uh, Steve Harmison. Um, Josh Butler clearly isn't going to um, allow any semblance of pressure to get to him. He feels that um, he, there is no pressure. I mean, this is a, a golden opportunity. He's been quite outspoken about um, COVID restrictions regarding family, but um, he seems to be in a very positive frame of mind, and, um, you know, he's not kind of going to be white-knuckled with tension. No, I think he's in a good place, Joss, which is great for England. These, I think these wickets might just suit Joss Butler more than the, the wickets in England where the ball moves around a lot more, um, which would, you know, question in and around that off-stump mark. You know, when he when he just gets in, I think he can cash in on the, on the good surfaces that he's going to play on in Australia. Um, and England are going to need him. You know, Joe Root needs him because of his, his level-headedness and his calmness. You know, a good sounding board. Nothing really phases him, which I quite like. You know, I've been one of his biggest critics in Test Match Cricket. And this is Joss's series. I think this is Ben's series. 
I think this is Joe Root's series, you know, to go over to win us to win against Australia in Australia. I think this is their this is their golden opportunity to to whatever record that you that it might be, whatever average you have with the bat or ball. If you can go over to Australia and have a a win on your CV and beat in Australia, that is that's huge. And I think this is the moment for Josh Butler to stand up for England. And you know, fingers crossed he does so. I just want to correct something that I that I said uh, a minute ago um, when I said outspoken. I didn't mean that. I should have said firmly spoken yes. um, on the, the issues of, of families and, and COVID regulations. This was uh, um, his latest thoughts on the matter. Getting the families out there was, was a huge part of um, the initial uh, negotiations, I guess. And it's, it's been a huge help you know, to have them here with us. Uh, and we want them to be able to, to travel around with us. So I'm sure if we are allowed to move into state, I, I don't see why the families who are part of of our bubble wouldn't be allowed to, to move into state with us. But if they couldn't, would that, for you, change your situation in terms of what you've committed to? Uh, potentially, but again, it's a, it's a hypothetical situation at the minute. Um, and until something, you get told that something's changed, um, there's no decision to make and um, you know, it just adds to the, the unknowns, the things I don't really need to worry about at the moment. Josh Butler um, suggesting that, um, yeah, if things go wrong, and regulations change and there is uncertainty and families are in any way, not, not even endangered, but, um, you know, um, sent home or can't accompany the players anymore, then he wouldn't think twice, at least that's the intimation, that he wouldn't think twice about withdrawing. I must say, I'm the opposite of old school. I'm, I'm new school on this matter and I'm totally with him. I'm with him as well. I'm with him as well. These are the promises that, that was made. I don't understand... I really don't understand how now they've got the families into the country that why the families can't move along with the, the players because they're in a bubble. They're all in, they're all in this protective bubble or so-called protective bubble that they're in. So what's the difference between the families and what the players can do? I would question if Australia did move the goalposts. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with, with any of the players saying, well, if the, if the families can't go in, What's the difference between the families going in and us going in? Arguably, the families might be, the players might be moving more freely than what the families are because the families are probably stuck in hotels. They're not going to the ground every day and they're not going to it. Some of them might not even go to the, I know my wife never went to, she was part of the babysitting service because she never really went to the ground. So I was moving more, in that time, I would be moving more freely than my family would because my family wouldn't come to the ground. They would just come to see me over nighttime or the mornings in, in a nice hotel. So I don't understand why the families would be in, in sent home or in any jeopardy of not being able to move around. If the, if the state doesn't want the game, it doesn't want the players there, they shouldn't have the game, in my opinion. That's exactly my next point. It seems to me that uh, the country's administrators and, and parliamentarians, um, politicians, are divided into two groups. Uh, there are those who, uh, who know about and care about the Ashes, and are prepared to make compromises to make them happen. And there are others, like the Premier of Western Australia, who clearly doesn't give a chocolate biscuit um, for, the, for the sport or for the Ashes. He has said, um, sure, we'll host the fifth Test match, and everybody, including the broadcasters, all the players, all the administrators, everybody will do two weeks quarantine beforehand. Well, obviously he doesn't know anything about the Ashes, because that's impossible. I mean, he's, you know, you no. Clearly, what you are actually saying, Premier, is you don't want the fifth Ashes test. Yeah, you don't want the fifth Ashes, fifth ashes test, so fair enough, you don't have it. And the, the amount of tourism that comes with that, the money that is made around having a test match over five days, you're talking, you're probably talking 200,000 200, tickets being, will have been sold. You have beer, drunk, everything. The money that will have been spent in and around the, the test match in Perth that's that's a huge amount of money for the economy, which is you know, everywhere struggling because of what's happened with the pandemic. So, if the if if that's the case, then fine. I'm England. I'm England captain. I'm England management. Same fair enough. We'll stay in Melbourne and we'll play two Test matches in Melbourne or two Test matches in Sydney. I'm not bothered where we play five Test matches as long as they're in Australia. Give <laughs> us a chance to beat you in Australia. We'll play you. We'll play you on Bondi Beach if if that's what I would be saying. If it's safe to play on the beach, I'll play you on the beach because I'm here now. My family's here now. We're ready to go. Let's get it on. And if somebody wants to make a name for themselves, like the West Australian Premier, oh, that's up to him. We'll not, we'll not come to your state. We'll not 
spend money in your area and we'll go to where people want us to play. But at the end of the day, there will be five test matches in Australia and we want a best chance to give you the best game possible. And, and I think that's all, that's all England are asking. I don't think there was ever a point where the England players were going to pull out before the Ashes. There was a lot of noise and there was a lot of, a lot of nonsense talked about Joe Root and about anything. He is one of the best leaders I have ever seen. And he, he was sticking to his guns. He didn't say a great deal. And I think all he was trying to say was, you give us the information and we'll make a decision and we'll come to Australia. But give us the information. Now, that's it. That's the information. Do not change your goalposts. If you change your goalposts, make sure that the goalposts are the same for both sides where families that you've already started the equation, which means play. If we have to play two in one venue, we play two in one venue. There was a great, great moment. We have, we have to wrap up part one now, but there was a great moment when the Victorian Cricket Association called Cricket Victoria said, why don't we end the, the test match in a blaze of glory under lights at the MCG? It'll be a brilliant occasion. And uh, those in the know in Australian cricket said, oh, yeah, sure. And give Jimmy Anderson the chance to win two test matches. That <laughs> was great. It's not on. Give Jimmy a chance with a pink ball with two test matches. But I tell you what, Manners, if it's 2-2, we've had a great series. What an occasion. Melbourne, Melbourne on Boxing Day is the, one of the best sporting occasions I've ever seen. You give them another chance to host it, middle of January, under lights. Yes, it brings Jimmy Anderson in the equation, but if the series is still alive, under lights, what, what a picture that will be at MCG. Fantastic. For the last uh, four editions, we've been doing uh, your favourite five Ashes moments, and I've asked you not to tell me what they are. So um, we're going to get number two, and I'm just as exciting to hear what excited to hear what it uh, what it is as the listeners. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Anthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. As we continue to look ahead to the start of the Ashes, and it's time now to hear from the 49th Test captain of Australia, Pat Cummins who's been speaking ahead of next week's first test. The fast bowler is the first of his ilk since the 1960s to captain Australia, and he believes having Steve Smith as his vice-captain was key to his appointment. Yeah, there's a couple more unknowns about um, having a bowling captain, and that's why um, I think from the outset I was absolutely determined if I, if I was captain to have someone like Steve as vice-captain next to me. Uh, we're so well um, you know, planned these days with um, not only the players we have around us, but the staff. Um, I feel like I've got um, quite a lot of experience to draw on that. I think a lot of the problems or potential issues around being a fast bowling captain, um, hopefully, uh, or I'm sure we'll be able to work through. So, um, yeah, feeling overall excitement yeah, as opposed to being too, too nervous about yeah, what might happen. Pat Cummins mentioned Steve Smith there, um, and he's back in a leadership role for the first time since he was sacked as Australia captain back in 2018 after the infamous Sandpapergate scandal at Newlands in South Africa. He understands the backlash his appointment will get, but says he's delighted to be appointed vice-captain ahead of the Ashes nonetheless. I've been in a, a position the last few years playing as a leader, and, and now the, the opportunity, obviously, to to be standing here next to, to, to Patrick as a, a formal um, leader or a titled leader, you know, I'm, I'm truly honoured and um, there'll be some, some negativity from some people around it. I understand that and I get that. But for me, I, I know that I've, I've grown a great deal over the last three or four years. Um, I'm a more rounded individual and in turn, I, I think it's turned me into a, a better leader and... Um, I'm excited to be in this position next to Patrick. I, I think he's done a, a terrific job over the last few years as vice-captain and, and grown into a terrific leader. And uh, I look forward to, to doing everything that I can in my power to, to help Patrick and and help this team grow into a, a successful one, both on and off the field. So, you know, we're both really excited and, um, you know, can't wait to, to get started in, in a couple of weeks' time in, in what's obviously an important Ashes series. That's Australian former captain and current vice-captain Steve Smith. It's uh, time now to get more on this and the resignation of the previous captain, Tim Payne. Yesterday, me and Harmy spoke with Australian cricket writer and a key part of the TalkSport cricket team, Jared Kimber to get his take on the last few weeks in Australian cricket. First of all, uh, Jared, thanks for your time. Tim Payne, uh, is uh, is there a way back for him into cricket? No, I don't think so. I think he look, he already picked up the job on a, you know, a 
breakfast radio show in Tasmania uh, over the last, what, six or 12 months or so, I, once I heard that he made that appointment, you had a sitting Australian captain with a second job, I kind of figured that Tim Payne was one foot out the door. I think if this wasn't an Ashes, might have already left. But wh- because it was an Ashes, I think he thought, you know what? That'd be nice to go out of home, maybe maybe sneak a victory over England and uh, cement my my reputation as the world's safest safest captaincy pair of gloves, if you will. So I think he was always going to go. So, uh, 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 you know, he hasn't retired probably for financial reasons as much as anything. And, and maybe just to have a break and see, you know, what, whether he wants to or not. But he must retired before he got the captaincy, if you remember. He's going to go and become a sales rep for Kookaburra. So, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's almost left before. I can't, I can't imagine he's going to stick around now. We'll talk about his pot- potential replacement in a moment. But right now, I want to, I want Harmy to talk to you about fast bowlers captaining teams. <laughs> well, I must admit, I've only done it a few times, and it wasn't, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't that pleasurable, and <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. Um, I remember, I think in one occasion in a one-day game, I had three overs left, and bowl and and worked out why <clears throat> why one of my bowlers couldn't bowl the last two. From the CMN, so from either end, so <laughs> it wasn't the best education captaincy-wise for me. I must admit, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that they've gone down the road of of Pat Cummins because, yes, his body's been a lot better in in recent years, but to have that on his plate as well as being the lead leader of the attack, I think it's I just thought it was a bit too much. And if it wasn't for a, a scandal, Jared would would. Uh, Steve Smith be back in the job, which you'd think would be the, the more natural choice as leader of the Australian cricket team. If Tim Payne had stepped down, then I think, and with nothing, with nothing untoward, I think definitely Steve Smith would have been captain. But I do think that Pat Cummins still would have been interviewed. And I do think they still would have thought about him because they think of him that highly. They've been talking about him as a potential captain from a very young age. I remember meeting him when he was 18, Harmy, and I was out on the SCG. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with cricketers who were 18. I remember spending a bit of time with James Taylor when he was 18. Pat Cummins does not profile like a batter when you talk to him. Sorry, like a bowler when you talk to him. He's a really... Uh, he's not someone who's just athletic. He's very smart when he talks about the game. He was very dedicated to how he was getting better as a player. He's not someone who just bowls fast um, and has been given the captaincy because he's the last man standing. But you're still right. I still think they would have gone Steve Smith. The, the only thing I would say is a lot of the things about bowling captains comes down to the fact of the class system that came into cricket. Essentially, when we started cricket, the batters were the amateurs. And so they led teams, and the bowlers were quite often the professionals who did all the hard work. That's, a weird, that's where this started. Now, the game has changed a little bit, and there is a big difference in the athleticism needed between batting and bowling. And I think we think of bowlers as more naturally athletic, and therefore maybe they don't think about the game as much. But I think that there's been hundreds of bowlers who probably, without, without cricket sort of in it, inbuilt bias, we used to have the same bias for wicket-keeping as well. I think there are hundreds of bowlers who could have been very good uh, captains. You, obviously not yourself, as you've just ruled yourself out no. there, Harmy. But I, I really do believe that. I, I think that there are a, a lot of bowlers out there. But there are things that you have to uh, think about. Like, for instance, a lot of bowlers, when they become captains, really struggle to deal with themselves. Yeah, they, that's the big point, though, yeah. Jared, I was going to make. It, the balance between bowling enough and not bowling enough, if you do bowl too much... I remember Freddie bowled himself into the ground at mm. Lords once, and that more or less ended his career. That that smashed his knee, finished his career. So, if Pat Cummins does take that on, I think Ricky Ponting or somebody said this week, if Glenn McGrath was was captain of Australia, he'd have bowled night, he'd have bowled <laughs> forty-five overs from one end. Now, <clears throat> these things are that, that's something that Pat Cummins has got to understand and get really quickly because he hasn't got to build up into it. He's gone into an Ashes series, and if he doesn't get the balance quite right it could harm Australia's chances of winning. If he bowls too much, gets himself injured, then they've lost the best bowler in the world. And by in my opinion, he's the best bowler in the world. Seamer in the world. And I think he's there. He's up there by, by a decent distance. Yeah. So if you lost that, then all of a sudden, making him captain was, was a, a huge gamble. Look, I think you're right. One thing I would say is probably different from the era that you bowled and, um, and Glenn McGrath bowled is that in Test cricket now, it's more about rotating your bowlers. There are certain situations where you might bowl on... Saw Jimmy Anderson bowl, you know, nonstop in, against India in one Test match, and we, we've seen that Neil Wagner's probably a, a separate one. 
I don't think it will be as easy to overbowl Cat Cummins as it might have been in previous eras just because there are there are fitness reasons. They're going to have red red monitors on him. They, they will literally know where he is when he's out on the field. So it is a little bit different from that era, but I don't disagree. The other one is that Australia have, in Pat Cummins, is probably their most important cricketer over, as you just said, he's the best bowler in the world. He can also bat good enough to bat at number eight. Incredible fielder as well. They're going to have to rest him. He can't rest him from test matches anymore. He's already rested from a lot of white ball cricket. Is he going to want to give up his IPL contract? Probably not. And I don't think he should for Australian cricket because I think he needs to improve as a T20 player as we just saw in this World Cup. Where do you rest him now? Does he miss out on small test series? Rest and rotation is part of it. So I've got no problem with captains from an intellect point of view or the way they read a game captaining. But there's a lot of other things that you need to understand. And if he'd done it all the way up, if he'd captain at junior level and all the way, we're talking about someone who's captained a handful of times in his professional life, right? And he's a proper cricket badger. He follows the game. I've got no problem about any of that sort of stuff. But he's not prepared for this. The other problem about resting him is that his vice-captain is now Steve Smith, and there'll be an outcry if Steve Smith uh, um, captains the the Australian team again. Not that Cricket Australia will bother about that. They don't bother about the rest of the world very much, do they, in in any capacity? But Pat Cummins is a sponsor's dream. I mean, he's absolutely boardroom box office um, in that sense. Who does he turn to? on the field, apart from Steve Smith, to actually get a second opinion. You go, I, f- I fancy a couple more. Do you, do you think I should bowl now? Or do you think, what, 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 when do you think I should bowl? Steve Smith and? Well, generally, you go to the wicketkeeper, but he's probably not going to do that with the debutant wicketkeeper who's never kept to him before, has he? Unless Alex... who, who's that going to be? Well, if it's Alex Carey, who they would probably go with, um, at least he has a relationship playing with him for Australia. I, would ass- I think the two best wicketkeeper batters in Australia are the two Joshes, Inglis and uh, Philippi, but I don't think they're going to pick either of those. Um, I think they'll go with Carey. They really trust Carey. Carey was a, a professional Aussie rules footballer who rebuilt his game when he failed as an Aussie rules footballer, a late bloomer, but... You know, a safe, safe pair of hands. Sorry, I've said that twice about wicket keepers <laughs> for no reason. Um, but, but I think that it depends. I would be tempted if I was Australia. I think Usman Khawaja should be playing in the Ashes ahead of Travis Head. And, but either if it's Head or Khawaja, they're both leaders for their states. Uh, Head is a potential Australian. If Head can get in the team consistently and make some runs, he's a potential Australian captain, I think, going forward. He's quite young. Usman Khawaja, probably in another universe, is. The, the captain. I mean, he's probably now almost the most well-respected cricketers in Australia. I mean, that's not saying much, being what this entire conversation has started talking about. <laughs> but Kawaj is incredibly well-respected, um, very good tactically. So there's a couple of players there that he can turn to. Also, David Warner's a brilliant tactician as well. That's not going to make everyone feel particularly <laughs> warm and fuzzy. But if you remember, when Tim Payne was captaining in the 2019 Ashes, and I think Harmi will remember this, there was huge stories about the amount of time that Tim Payne seemed to be getting all of his advice from Steve Smith and whether he was captaining. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I've got. I like David Warner. I think he's a good char- a, a, a character that I'd want on the field. I've said, I said many times during the last sort of eighteen months to yeah, I want the old David Warner back. Yeah, I want the one that borderline just just crosses the borderline every now and again. I want the the little Jack Russell that that goes at batsmen and goes at the opposition rather than the one that makes jokes with the Barmy Army and you know stands with his pockets out of his just little things that try what's trying to make him nice the reason that david warner was good is he had this feisty um yeah feisty demeanor which was always in the opposition's face obviously cape town put peer to that but i think it's now time for him to come out he's captain an ipl franchise he's a yeah, he has got a decent headpiece on on his shoulders um, and he knows the game inside out because he's very very well experienced not to say that he was going to be captain but as a as one of the the sound and board lieutenants i think you've you would have uh, if you asked him an honest question I think you'd get an honest answer off Davey Warner. And if I was captain of the Australian cricket team, that's what I want right now. Look, when it comes down to it, I think there's enough people for Pat Cummins to talk about. They've loved Pat Cummins. Here's my favourite Pat Cummins story. When he didn't play cricket for about three or four years, he was still on the billboards for the Sydney Sixers because he's so popular in Australian cricket after his debut and so photogenic. He's, a, you know, if, if you want to do a Giles Clarkism, he's the sort of Australian captain that Australians like to look at. He's good looking. He bowls fast. He tries really hard. And he's a nice guy. Maybe they need to try those sorts of things. That's Australian cricket writer Jared Kimber speaking to us yesterday. Jared will be back with us on Friday morning for live and exclusive commentary of the second test between India and New Zealand from 4am at the Wankadi Stadium in Mumbai. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. 
and the great uh, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll discuss that series and ask if it's the end of an era for two of India's most experienced batters. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. That's it. They've called it. The New Zealanders are walking off. That is the end of the game. It looked like they were going to go for one more, but Nitin Menon has said no. One of the world's best umpires has had a look. He's currently arguing with the Jinky Rahana. You can argue all you want. You cannot argue with the sun or the lack of. That is it, Steve Harmison. Game over. New Zealand have done it. I cannot believe it. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, which is now available, as always, from the following on feed and the TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, let's look back initially and then forward in this two-match series between India and New Zealand the first one of which ended in an absolutely thrilling draw, although I suppose the Indian players wouldn't have been too thrilled when uh, the last wicket pair, the 10th wicket pair, hung on for the last 50 deliveries of the Test match to deny India uh, an opening victory and an important victory as well uh, in just uh, a two-match series. I'm delighted to say now that we're joined by um, Indian broadcaster and journalist Chetan Narula from uh, York to Media, Chetan, all things considered, you might say it was a very good effort from an Indian team, given all of the big players that they were missing. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you look at the Indian test side, I mean, majority of the test matches that they have played this year, they haven't played full strength. I mean, you look at Australia, you look at a couple of matches in England where selection, I would say selection errors, uh, didn't allow them to play their uh, full strength playing 11. And now here, obviously, you needed some rest, but what a test match. I mean, when I saw the pitch at Kanpur and uh, I have covered a couple of matches at Kanpur, I, I don't really think Kanpur test matches should you know, last five days, given the pitches that we have had, given now we're playing three spinners. So it was a bit of a surprise that it went into the fifth day. It was it was a great test match, to be very honest, especially for the neutral, even for uh, New Zealand and uh, Indian fans. I think it was a very, very good test match. New Zealand showcasing why they are the world test uh, champions. I mean, this is a marvelous, marvelous New Zealand side. Um, they're missing Trent Bolt, uh, they're missing Mitchell Santner. But still, I mean, look, what a, what a brilliant test side they are. From an Indian perspective, yes, a good result. Win would have been better because, because, and I only speak it from the World Test Championship perspective, they've lost points at home. In the World Test Championship, if you lose points at home, that is a major, major issue. So 
they're going to host Australia next year. They have a couple of away tours. So it, it's, not, it's not a rosy scenario. And, and going to South Africa with this batting lineup, um, okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to be very confident. Wow, not very confident with that batting lineup. That's a big call, Chet. Yeah, you know, I looked at you look at the, at the, at the declaration. Was there many people in, in India questioning that it went on not too long but too slowly? Um, I personally thought with Arl Ashwin, Axel Patel, and Ravi Dudeja, ninety-six overs on a five on a day five pitch, that's good enough bowling to knock any team over in the world. Was there was there any sort of question marks on Rahani's captaincy about the? the time of declaration? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, we have a billion people in India, 1.4 billion actually. So we have 1.4 billion opinions. Um, some will say that uh, the declaration timing was not right. Uh, we have to remember India were what, 50 odd for five in the second innings. From there, you could have lost the match. So uh, they went into a winning position. They stretched the match to just the last New Zealand wicket. I mean, New Zealand in the second innings did not come close to winning the match. It was either an Indian win or a draw. So from there to stretch it to that perspective, I think we are being a bit harsh given that this, this was a second choice playing 11, uh, not, the, not the full strength Indian 11. If you have to point out where India could have won the match, it was in the first New Zealand innings. You rightly mentioned Ravindra Jareja, Ashwin, Akshar Patel, three top class spinners. And they could not, uh, you know, break through the New Zealand batting in the first innings. I thought the Indian spinners could have bowled better in the first innings than they did in the second innings. So, uh, but again, I think it was a terrific match between two terrific sides. And uh, the, the rest is conjecture and opinion and everybody's entitled to it. I have to ask you about um, Chiteshwar Pujara and Ajinkya Rahani. Um, I know that it's a subject that everybody or... Everybody's either talking about it or trying very hard to ignore it. One of them, presumably, <laughs> has to make way for Virat Kohli. But um, I've heard more than one person suggest that, that they should actually both make way for Kohli and Surya Kumar Yadav. I think that would be uh, that would be a bit of a stretch because you're going to go to South Africa and you're going to face a very good pace attack uh, in South Africa in overseas conditions. So removing the both of them, I think that would be a bit of a stretch. Both of them have issues. Let's let's be very honest here. Both of them have issues. Pujara, he's a walking wicket outside the off stump. I think Pat Cummins has really opened up something there for everybody to see. Um, Rahane, he's just short of confidence. So there's no mistake that one of them has to make way for Virat Kohli. Will it be one of them? Because the new coach, Rahul Dravid, has said that he doesn't mind uh, you know, lack of runs. It's just that you need to show a bit more confidence. Look, I love Pujara. I love Rahane. I love to see them bat. I think they've been wonderful servants of Indian cricket. But I think it's going to be one of the toughest calls that the Indian management has ever had to make. How do you pick one of them? That is also an issue because, like I said, Pujara, outside the off stump, he's, he's looking really, really doubtful outside the off stump. And uh, Rahane just, just doesn't have that confidence. So, I think picking both Surya Kumar Yadav and Shreyas Iyer for the Mumbai Test match, that would be a bit of a stretch because you need at least one Test match specialist batsman amongst all the stroke makers, you know. So my, my vote, and it's going to be a very, very tough call. If I have to pick one, I would say drop Ajinkya Rahane. Uh, he can come back. Uh, let's see what happens. Give Pujara one more shot because Pujara is very crucial in overseas test cricket. If India had a lot of home matches coming, then I would say push Rahane to number three, Virat at number four, and then Shreyas at number five. Send back Pujara to domestic cricket. But we have an overseas tour coming up. Pujara is going to be very vital there. Interesting. Very interesting. I personally, I think I'd, I'd, leave, I'd left them both. I think <laughs> from Just from a, a perspective of when I seen the... The two you know, greats of Indian cricket walk off the field with bat under arm. Their, their, their face and body language looked as though that was, that was potentially the end, end for them. And you touched on you know, the selections that India have got going into that Mumbai Test match and possibly further afield, but they've also got a bowling dilemma as well for me. And after watching Ishant Sharma in England, I was amazed to see him play in that Kampur Test match. And I'll be amazed to see him play in a Mumbai test match. But if India go to three, 
three and two, which there'll be a little bit more pace in the Wankhede Stadium in Mumbai, if they go three seamers and two spinners. Well, that's a good look, leaving one of them spinners out, because Aksar Patel's got 34 wickets in four test matches. Do you need Jadeja because he bats at six? You can't leave Ravi Ashwin out. So how do India get the balance of their bowling attack, seam bowling attack, right for what's going to happen next one on Friday at the Wankhede Stadium in Mumbai? Steve, I don't think they're going to leave out any of the three spinners. I think that is the template that India are going to go ahead with, especially in home tests. I think Jareja is more now of a batting all-rounder than a bowling all-rounder. What was the last time when he picked up a handful of wickets? We don't remember. He missed the England series at home. Akshar Patel, like you said, did so very well. Ashwin, I don't think you can drop him at all, even from overseas tests, let alone home tests. But uh, the Indian captain might, uh, might not agree with that. But Coming back to the point, I think you can't drop any of the three spinners because then you need an extra batsman in there. If you're dropping Jadeja, then you, you can't play with three paces because we don't have that batting strength in our pace attack. So I don't think they'll touch the spin attack. What I do think is they'll bring in Siraj for Ishant. It probably helps that Ishant has had that uh, injury, hand injury in Kanpur, so they might not... Uh, and the South Africa tour is still on, so they might be willing to take him down to South Africa there. But I absolutely agree with you. I thought the England tour should have been Ishan Sharma's swan song. I don't see a lot of fight in uh, Ishan Sharma. I don't see a lot of legs on Ishan Sharma to prolong his test career. What needs to happen is, even if you do want to prolong his test career because he's a valuable experienced member of the squad. He can only be a squad bowler now. He cannot be your first choice, go-to, lead pacer of the attack. He is not that bowler anymore. We saw that in England. We saw that in Kanpur Test Match as well. The lines that he bowls, the lengths that he bowls, I think he wastes the new ball. I'll be very honest. He's played a 100 Test Match. He's now become a bowler who's wasting the new ball for India than utilizing it. So I think he should be a squad bowler, as even if he prolongs his test career or the selectors or the management decides to prolong his test career. But I think uh, Bumrah, Shami, Siraj, we have Navdeep Saini, we have a couple other young fast bowlers coming up. I'll be very interested in giving Deepak Chahar a test call-up because you need a replacement for Bhuvneshwar Kumar. He's, he's in that mold. He can bat a bit. But I don't see Ishan Sharma as the lead bowler of India's pace attack any longer. I think that is a change that should happen before the Pujara Rahane change. That, that, is, that is my opinion. And how good was Sarah Shaya? What a debut that was. A young man with loads of sort of experience on his shoulders. That look, that's what it looked like to me. You know, Captain IPL franchise, he looked as though his game was in good order. Um, and he's gone out there and produced a, well... I would say a match-saving innings because you know the, the 60 he got in the second innings, if he gets out for, for not very many there, India are in real trouble. Oh, absolutely. It was a magnificent, magnificent performance. Uh, you don't get to see so many uh, such debut performances. Shreya Sayya, he's waited a long time, as you rightly said, and Neil also pointed out. Um, how do you drop him now? And he's, he's somebody who's, who's been knocking on the doors for a long time now. I remember the 2018 tour of South Africa. He was given some chances there in white ball cricket. Uh, I thought he had done enough to be a regular part of the white ball side and probably, you know, could have been in contention for the 2019 World Cup, certainly with India's uh, white ball middle order problems. But that didn't happen. Then he's had to wait and wait and wait for his chance in test cricket. I think he should have been on the plane to England. He should have been, but the injury during the IPL, uh, ideally he would have been playing that series uh, given the performance issues of Rahane and Pujara. If he had been in that test squad, he would have definitely made his debut in England. So it's been a long time coming for Shreya Sayer, but I think uh, you, you, you can't do any better than what he performed in Kanpur. And it was not an easy track to bat on. And of course, the New Zealand bowlers, they did not make it easy at all. So full marks to him. I don't see how he can be dropped in Mumbai, but stranger things have happened in Indian cricket. It will be a travesty if Shreya Sayer doesn't play in Mumbai. Oh, surely he will. Um, Chetan, um, don't don't just... be don't be so sure, Neil. Yeah, you've seen Indian cricket for far too long. It's is full he, of surprises. He's the only Indian player ever to score 150 on debut, but it was the way he handled the pressure moments. That was it. I mean, we all know he's classy and he's um, a stylist and he's a very highly productive, but it was his temperament 
that makes him, for me, makes him uh, undroppable. We're running out of time, Chets, but just very quickly, in in this um, mad COVID Omnicron world, um, will India go to South Africa? Is there any chance that... Um, I know that Virat Kohli's like semi-obsessed with winning in South Africa and he's desperate to go, but will 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 somebody above him, higher up the food chain, pull the tour, do you think? India's, uh, or rather BCCI's prerogative during the pandemic has been to help out as many cricket nations as possible. Probably not something the Manchester people would agree with, but uh, that has been the case. <laughs> they've been to England, they've been to Australia, they've been part of as many biobubbles as possible. As of now, from what I'm hearing, the tour is on. From the broadcaster's perspective, from uh, the VCCI's perspective, from the Indian team's perspective, as of now, what I'm hearing, the tour is very much on. What happens next? Like you said, we are living in a very, very fast-changing world. We don't know how this new variant is reacting. We don't know anything about it, to be honest, except that it is a variant of some concern. I hope that's not the case, that you know it doesn't trouble the nations of the world as much as it has in the past. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's very unpredictable, very fast changing scenario at the moment. But as of now, as of now, the tour is on and I hope to see India playing in South Africa. Chet Narula from York Media. Thank you very much for your time. Great pleasure um, talking to you and we thank you for your insight and knowledge once again. Thank you, mate. As always, a pleasure. Thanks. And a reminder, you can hear live and exclusive coverage of the second test between India and New Zealand starting this Friday from 4am here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. OK, um, let's hear from uh, ECB Managing Director Ashley Giles. Um, he was speaking a couple of days ago and he's calling on the game to offer second chances as it deals with accusations of racism and institutional racism. Azim Rafiq's testimony to the Parliamentary Committee earlier this month has sparked a whole number of similar allegations in the sport. And Giles has said that while discrimination should not, should never be, and will not be tolerated, mistakes will be made. I've been involved in the game over the last 30 years, and I'm sure there will be incidents and things I've said that I wouldn't be proud of in a, in a different time, in a different context. and. Um, you know, I'm sure cricket's not alone in those experiences. Uh, but, we, you know, it's clear we need to keep creating environments where, where people can keep coming forward and sharing those experiences. Um, and we can talk about these issues. And, and to do that, as I say, we need to educate, we need to share. And I think we also need to tolerate. You know, if zero tolerance means that there is no acceptance of racism and discrimination, absolutely, that's completely right. But for me, if zero tolerance means that... Um, you know, we cut people off, we don't give second chances, we don't give people the chance to rehabilitate, then I think we've got a problem. And, and you know, as I said, this area is such a sensitive area and difficult one for some people to talk about that I fear if, if, um, if we take that route that the gap may widen and not, um, and, and not lessen. That was Ashley Giles. Um, and while England captain Joe Root has denied again that he was present or aware of racist language being used in the change room towards Rafiq, he has welcomed the ECB's new 12-point plan to ensure something like this never happens again. A huge amount of learning has to be done off the back of it. We have to make sure that within the game, this isn't something that, that happens again. And we have to do everything we can to make sure that you know, it is an, as inclusive as it possibly can be. We continue to find ways of, of really making the game as diverse as possible and, and you know, championing that as well. Um, you know, you see what's happened in, in our, our white ball teams and our England teams over the, the recent past, and it's been a huge part of our success. It's been something that we've spoken about for a, a number of years now, a couple of years, where you know, the culture of our dressing room and you know, how, we, how we go about things and how we talk and learn from each other is, has been a massive step forward in, in terms of how we've uh, gone about things on the field as well. Having that understanding of each other has definitely helped us with our performances along the way. And, um, you know, we, we all have to learn so much more and we have to keep trying to find ways of, as I mentioned, educating ourselves further on this topic. But it's really important that we, we continue to keep trying to do that. England captain Joe Root there. Um, now, the ECB chief executive, Tom Harrison, believes he can deliver the change needed to eradicate racism from the sport with his 12-point plan. I think what we've done here is, is take responsible and urgent action, and, which is demonstrable. 
responsible and demonstrable. My point is that we've gone, we've gone to the heart of the issue here uh, and we've got a significant response to the issues that cricket faces within the context of the, the environment that we're in, right? So the counties now have to implement this. We have to help uh, implement these changes and, and do so on, in, in, within the timelines that we've, we've set out. And it's right that we ask ourselves, we haven't done a governance review since 2017 when we introduced the independent board. So I think it's a right time for us now to go back as a collective again, as a game and work out whether we have got the right governance structures, uh, given the, the pressures that, and the, the, the uniquely different role that ECB plays now as a major sport, you know, with the multiple hats that we have to wear. Um, overseeing the game as we do. So I think what government will reflect is, first of all, some urgent action, um, some commitment to look at these debates, these broader debates around the role of the governing body, regulation, you know, that whole space of discipline. And actually, obviously, in the context of what's happening in football with an independent regulator being recommended, these are all now um, debates that are going to happen. And I hope with the support of government, we can uh, we can have those um, discussions in the co- in, in in the knowledge that we'll come out with the right answer for for the sport at the at the moment that we're at now as a, as a growing sport with growing responsibilities. Um, Harmi, a lot to to take in and and digest there. I'm, I'm still personally a little concerned that Tom Harrison is a little bit too much the the bureaucrat, um, and uh, I, know, I know it's not not necessarily his fault, and and I I'm, don't doubt the sincerity of his words, but. Um, you know, he, he just sounds a little bit too administrative. Anyway, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's as it's time for work to stop. Um, I'm all for these twelve point plans, but at the minute they're just word. They're, they're just words. We want actions, and I think the actions is to to hopefully move forward and move forward quickly. I like what Ashley Jai said this week about that not just cutting people adrift. We have to understand that you know what's right and what's wrong, and to make people's you know, opinions change from the wrong to the right. I think, yes, you have to give people a second chance. Yes, you have to educate people because sometimes if you do start cutting people adrift and you do alienating people, that actually could make things worse because then, you know, you're going to have two camps then, the, the he said, she said, and it just drives a divide even more. I think it's now important that we, we bring people closer together. And I think we educate, the game educates naturally ourselves with society to get everything better. And I really, I really thought Ashley Giles spoke very well this week. So that's a positive. What Tom Harrison's trying to push is a positive. It's now about the actions of what the ECB is trying to drive forward with their counties and individuals inside that counties making cricket better. That will come and time will tell when it comes. Because let's be fair, I listened to a young man speak in front of the MPs and one of the last things he said was it's not about individuals, it's about a collective unit being better. Well, let's everybody work together to try and make that better. And I think that is really what Ashley Giles was saying. And I'm really pleased that he said it. Yeah, I, absolutely. And um, I'm concerned that, uh, the, that there's a, a new sport in media which involves selecting targets and, and then going back on their social media timelines and... Um, and and you know a decade or more and and seeing what you can find and i and i'm concerned that that's a, a new branch of so-called journalism um, absolutely manus absolutely uh, it troubles me it troubles me uh, you know that's not journalism it's not journalism no it's not and it's good people there are good people suffering here as well as you know, a countless host of of other people having to gone through what has been a very very difficult time in the last 10, 15 years of, of, of our sport, but we have to we have to look forward. You know, there's no point going back over old ground. It's about moving forward and educating us, educating people better to make sure that this game is this wonderful game that we all love. We've just watched a test match go to the right, right down to the wire in Campoor. We love this beautiful game. And if we start going back and alienating people and, and casting people adrift then I think that's wrong. It's wrong. It's not, it's not right. I think we need to, we need to educate people better and hopefully make society better because at at the end of the day, racism is not a cricket problem. It's not a sport problem. It's a society problem until we we get that better. You know, we're just going to be going around in circles in my opinion. 
Okay, let's turn our attention to uh, other stories in the rest of the news around the world. Talking of uh, good test matches, um, Bangladesh hosted Pakistan in Chittagong, and although the home country collapsed in a spectacular heap in the in the fourth innings, they um, they actually acquitted themselves very very well, and it was uh, it was a good test match. Tajul Islam took seven wickets to earn Bangladesh a first innings lead. So. Well done to, to Bangladesh after a very, very disappointing T20 World Cup. In the format that matters, they uh, do seem to be making progress. And a man I've known longer than you, but you know better than me, uh, is Dale Benkenstein. Um, do you know what? He played so long for, for Durham that uh, there are many English people didn't even realise he was uh, South African. Um, mm. Became an, an, <laughs> an honorary Durhamite. Uh, but he's now been appointed head coach of Gloucestershire. That's a great appointment. He is one of the best human beings I've ever played cricket with. Um, his son's over here playing in, uh, in, 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 in cricket as well. He was one of the best captains I played with because nothing ever was a problem for Benke. You know, whether it was, we're playing on a green team or we won the toss, we lost the toss. If we needed nine and over, he tackled everything with the same, the same calmness um, and in the same way. And, you know his captaincy, his leadership qualities were 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 brilliant, and and his captaincy record is phenomenal. But he always played it down because we asked him about being a captain in Natal. He said anybody could captain Natal. He said I had Sean Pollock, Lance Clues, Liam Malcolm Marshall. He says we had a phenomenal bowling attack. And he said I come to Durham. I had Harmison, Onions, Plunkett. And he said Shoei Bakhtar, all these bowlers. And he said. Just changing, yeah, just changing ends. That's all I did. <laughs> I'm sorry, Banks, you weren't. You were a fantastic leader. And I hope, I really do, and I'm sure he will, because his time got cut short at, at Hampshire uh, for family reasons. He went home. I, I hope he uh, he enjoys his time at Gloucester. And the people of Gloucester, you've got a good man there. And fingers crossed that you know, you build on the success that they've had in recent times. The one thing I can guarantee, you'll make, you'll make some of the Gloucester young players a lot better cricketers during his tenureship. I completely endorse the fact that he is a great man and a lovely human being. It's that time, Harmy. I can't wait any longer. We've only got a couple of minutes left. We've had your, your, your moments five, four and three. We're into your favourite Ashes moments, number two this week and number one next week. So, number two, but please. To be honest, I was, man, as I was going to go, it was heads or tails which way I went. I've gone with Edge Baston 2005. The wicket right at the very end. The atmosphere of, of that Sunday morning was just unbelievable. The whole test match started you know, in drama, 9.45. And I tell you what, when any, and I've said this to Glenn before, when any, any sportsman says they don't want to see another sportsman seriously injured, well, that's nonsense. Because when Glenn McGrath stood on that ball, there was 10 Englishmen and a South African doing backflips about 40 yards away <laughs> after what Glenn did to us at the Oval. I, I, sorry, at Lords. Um, and then the, the theatre just didn't stop from there. You know, 400 on day one and, eight, and 80 overs. Uh, you know, the, the wicket at the end of day three, I think it was, to get rid of Clark when I had nothing left, slower ball. The atmosphere was just electric. Um, and then we were expecting two wickets. We, we need two wickets to win the Test match. 107 runs. We we think right. Start 11 o'clock. We'll be singing one one. You know, where's your Australia gone? In in the walkabout bar, Broad Street, half 11, and it wasn't the case. It was Brett Lee was he was a champion throughout that whole Test match series. Um, but along with Shane Warne and then Casper coming at the end to get the wicket right at the very very end. Thought it had gone when Simon had dropped that catch, but we managed to get over the line. We've seen the famous handshake between Flintoff and Brett Lee. And that set the series up for what was going to be an England victory. So my number two was Sunday morning, Edge Baston, last wicket. What an atmosphere that was in Birmingham. Brilliant. Thank you very much, as always, mate. Uh, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. If you missed the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your other podcasts. And we'll be back next week with a full preview of The Ashes, which gets underway in Brisbane at the Gabba on December the 8th. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.
The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 